0: Mom and the whole family. We've been based in the UK for about 12 years. Um, we've lived in and around the Thames Valley Reading area uh, for most of those 12 years. Um, and then I, with my job, um, moved back to Bristol or I moved to Bristol. So I lived in Bristol for about four years working there. Um, I did study in London. So I used to live in Regent's Park, not in the park itself. Um, a lot of people say We're in the park, but uh, not actually in the park, just, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but there's a big curved building um, called Park Crescent, so that was where I based most of my student life, is I was based in that building, lived in London, loved London, loved the busyness of London, and um, Bristol was great, it was like a really chilled out vibe in Bristol, Um, so now I'm back in London, it's all busy again, busy, busy, busy. But um, today, Malcolm kind of said it'd be great for me to come and share a few thoughts, share a few things I'm learning, a few things that I think are important, Um, and I feel really privileged to do that. Um, I'm privileged to share a bit about my life, a bit about, um, there are kind of three things that I specifically want to touch on today, three parts of my life. Um, And in those parts of my life, I'll explore a few things that helped me to either See God or know God or get more in touch with God. Um, the, the first thing is obviously a childhood. Everybody's got a childhood. Um, so as I mentioned, I grew up in, in South Africa. Um, I'll show a few photos here. So obviously it starts with a birth. Uh, this is me. I was three kilograms. Can you believe that? Look how big I am now. It, it's so weird to put me in touch with that. That is actually me. Um, me and my brother, we, um, we, we got up to a lot of mischief, we, uh, we, we were trying to be a tree here, I don't know why, but we were, our childhood existed of playing outside a lot, um, we, we played outside a lot, so we made loads of mud and we were in the mud and we were trying to act like trees there, um, so this is the childhood that we, we kind of had. Um, as you can see, me, my brother, my sister, I was the cool kid uh, on the block, obviously. From that photo, you can say, obviously. Um, and then, um, yeah, just another little photo of me over there. So as, as, a, as a child, um, I always grew up in the church. My, um, where it started is my mum and my dad, they were kind of seeking God. And the, the time period that I was born, they were actually reached out to. Um, and they started coming along to church. They started studying the Bible. Um, and so that was my, my first conversion. Um, and so, so they, I always grew up in the church. So I had a basic knowledge of, of, you know, kind of church stuff. I had a basic knowledge that, you know, I believe there is a God. It's good to come to church. I believe this. I believe that. Um, so I kind of had that basic idea Something my mother was really good at doing was disciplining me as a child. Um, we got a lot of hidings, a lot of hidings, which was great. A couple that I, I remember very vividly. A couple where I put loads of extra pairs of jeans on. Teens, these are just notes, so you know, I don't know if you guys still get hidings. But I, me and my brother, we would put two pairs of jeans on, two pairs of underwears, my mum would try and give us a hiding, and it wouldn't hurt at all. But we'd be like, ah! She would walk out, and we would be occupied with something, and we'd hear her come back, and we'd quickly lick and make her eyes wet, and say, "Oh, I'm so sorry, it was so bad." But my mum, my mum taught us a lot of of discipline. You know, if I can ask this question to both the young guys and the older guys, who here trusts our parents? Stick your hands up. Who who trusts our parents? Who trusts your parents? Definitely. Now, that concept, as a kid, we can confidently say we trust our parents, but the concept of trust is quite challenging when your mom tells you to do something or your dad tells you to do something which you don't want to do, right? It's challenging to face discipline. It's challenging to... In your heart as a teen, I believe this is the best thing to do. But my mom says this is the best thing to do. Listen to me. No, mom. I don't want to listen to you. It's a challenging concept. But if we truly trust our parents like we all said we do, as younger people, we would truly understand that they know better. They have seen more. They know what is best for us. Now, I can put that on the flip side, because as disciples, we have God as our Father. And do we trust Him? That also means that God still disciplines us. It still means that God is guiding us one way, but our hearts and our wills want to go another way. So as a child, I know we got a lot deep there. I didn't understand all these things as a child. But the basic principles of discipline was there. Which reminds me of the scripture in Hebrews. I, 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 Hebrews is such an incredible book. And especially this. Um, so if you want to turn your Bibles there. Um, this is the concept of, of God still disciplining us. And, and parents disciplining us. And it's a great concept to have. So here in Hebrews 12. Um, 9 to 11. We, we read here where it says. Uh, verses 9. Moreover. We have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to our Father of our spirits and life? Our Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, and they thought as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our own good, that we may share in His holiness. Now, this is an important point to focus on here. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You know, as a teen and as a young child, whenever my mom tried to discipline me, it was painful. It is painful. <coughs> however, with hindsight now, as a 25-year-old, I can see what is produced. My mum can sit back and see what is produced. And all glory to God because of that. As Christians, God still disciplines us as it says. It's painful to put our wills to one side and follow God's will. However, it does produce a harvest. It will lead to better things. So the first kind of section there is, is, you know, understanding the concept of, of discipline and under, understanding that as a kid, I always grew up in the church and we all face discipline, right? Teens, who, who of you love doing what your parents say all the time? As I thought, no hands go up. Disciples, who of us love doing what God wants, to, wants us to do all the time? It depends, it depends exactly. It <laughs> depends. But, we can see from the scripture, and there are multiple other scriptures, that it's a good thing to trust God. It's a good thing to trust our parents. So as a kid, it helped me to develop this understanding of morally rights and wrongs. You know, discipline is that moral understanding of this is right and this is not right. It helped me to, to grow up with an understanding of you know, things that aren't good to do, you know, getting drunk or lying or being lazy or having loads of girlfriends or any of that kind of stuff. I had that basic understanding of these are probably not good things to do because my mum has said so or because someone at church has said so. So what this then, then led me to do is um, in, the, in the back of my mind, I had that understanding of morally right and wrongs and discipline. But I never really connected it with God. I never really just pursued God. It often seemed to me like it's a bit boring. It often seemed to me like it was too rulesy and too, you know, structurally based. So that was kind of the, the setup and the foundation of, of a lot of kind of my childhood. Then we move into the, um, the next phase, which, uh, which is my teenage years, the uh, This self-discovery phase, I like to call this. I I honestly was the cool kid at school. Now, I will buy someone dinner. Mom, you're not allowed to give this answer, or Malcolm, maybe, because I think you know know me a bit better. But who of you know or could take a guess as to why I was the cool kid at school? I had a specific feature about me. Had a beard. Not a beard. I was tall, not I don't know I was there's two ways you can look at that, but no. Get ready for this guys, get ready for this, because I think you guys are gonna be shocked. Yeah. Whoa. Bam! Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so So I I honestly I was I was the cool kid at that school cool cool. because of this afro. I mean look at that. Yeah. Can you picture Can you picture that? It's a bit like a beard. And I see where you were going with the tallness because it probably added another couple of inches to me. (laughs) But I I honestly was a cool kid at school. I was a South African kid that just moved to the UK. Um, I was ingrained in sports in the school. I had this crazy Afro. Because in South Africa, it's quite rule-based. You're only allowed to have a grade 2 on your hair and all that kind of stuff. Whereas we came to the UK, I was like, I'm free. I can do what I want. Let me grow my hair. I've never done this. I never knew it would turn out like that. But um, anyway, you know, I, I, I was honestly this cool kid at school. And, and in, it was the first time in my whole life that I started exploring the attractiveness of the world. You know, for the first time ever I had these girls who were interested in me and my hair and can we touch it, and can we put pencils in it and and uh, I was playing loads of rugby I was speaking to um to Judah. he was playing loads of rugby as well, and I, you know I, that used to be my life. I used to play so much rugby, and now I used to swim and do this and do that, and I was you know just ingrained in school and I loved it. It's amazing to be ingrained in school, but with that comes a lot of pressures. You know, as a teen, I faced a lot of pressures. You know, house parties, girls, lying about church. You know, we, we used to, we have um, our midweeks on Friday nights and every Friday people would say, what are you doing? And I'd be like, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of just chilling at home. <laughs> But there were these, these external pressures from the world, from, from my friends, from people, from things, things I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to... I was amazed at this whole concept of someone else being attracted to me and, and like, wow, this is kind of cool. Let's explore this a bit. And I was amazed at the popularity because I've never had that before. I was amazed at, you know... I, they used to call me Heine, and they still do. That's kind of my nickname. But, I, you know, Heine walking down the corridors at school, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah. It even went down to the headmaster. Okay. This is a really bad story of me, but I'll share it. I used to be a bit of a, a bully as well. You know, I, 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 th- I believed in tough love at school. So as the cool kid, I had these a lot of these people who wanted to be my friends. And so I, I believed in, like, Training them up a bit and making them tough by giving them a bit of toughness. And there's this one kid, Ollie, who was who who was a, he really wanted to be my friend, Ollie. And he was this organised English boy, and he was very you know he had everything up and ready. And I was doing my GCSEs, and again I was chatting to the guys earlier, and, and history was one of my GCSEs, and he organised all of his history files and everything. And I thought as a joke, I'd take the file and like you know. Act as if I'm going to throw it out this window because we were on the, the second floor. And uh, and I did it. And the, f- the papers went all over the place. And the headmaster walked out onto his, onto his lawn. And he looked up at the window. And I kind of, I don't think I waved at him. But I kind of looked at him and sat back in my chair. And uh, the deputy headmaster came in. And this guy was some army dude. And he came and he's like, and he's like, who did that? And I was like, bonjour. Or I said like moi or something like that. Some French answer. And I was so cheeky. I just, I I felt indestructible at school. And so I go down to the headmaster's room and I'm just laxadaisy, just chilling. And he walks in and he's like, oh, Heine, what brings the pleasure? And I'm like, score. He's like, do you mind for a jam donut and some tea? So we walked into his office and we just had a little jam donut and tea. And he's like, oh, by the way, don't do that again. But so as a a kid, you know, I, I was kind of, the point I'm trying to make is I, I felt a bit indestructible. I felt cool. I felt like I had my life planned. You know, I felt like things were going the right direction. My, my kind of vision I had for life, or one of the visions I had for life, was, you know, I love rugby. I'm going to become this professional rugby player, probably going to marry some cheerleader and travel the world and play rugby. <laughs> That was, that, was, that was how I planned my life. You know, I don't know what your dreams are as young people and as older people, not old, older people, Thank you. but I, I had these, these dreams in my life. I had certainty. As a teen, you feel indestructible. You feel that nothing's going to touch you. You wake up every day and you think, I've got this. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. What then happened is I got a really serious knee injury from from playing the I got an infection. I I had some operation done to my left leg. Um, Again, a funny story. I I should probably just go into it very quickly. So I went for this operation to redo my anticruciate ligament in my left leg. And um, I remember waking up the first time and I'm in this hospital bed, and I was really bad at waking up. I was like coming out of the anesthetics, and I just wanted to give them a hard time, because I was in pain, and I saw these chocolate cookies, and I'm not allowed to eat, and I was just shouting so loud. Anyway, so I'm in this bed, and I, I, my right leg itches, and I put my hand down the, um, um, the blanket, and I try and itch my leg, and I feel a bandage on my right leg, and I start freaking out. I'm like, they've operated the wrong leg, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it was really, really funny in the moment, but... I got this really serious knee injury, and life kind of changed like that. It just changed. Life is so uncertain. So uncertain. We think we've got everything planned, but let me tell you, we don't. We think we've got dreams. We think we've got plans for tomorrow, even. Even this afternoon. Life is just so uncertain so uncertain. I remember lying in hospital thinking to myself that, you know what? I've probably got to take my faith a bit more seriously here. What happens if I die? What happens? I want you to ask yourselves that. Today, what happens if you die? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? There were two scriptures, that are, there was one in specific scripture that I read in hospital. This is my brother's Bible, actually, I stole it, but we've got identical Bibles. But in this, in this Bible, I remember coming across this one scripture, Matthew seven twenty one. It says there, this is Jesus speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's where I wanted to go, heaven. But Jesus is saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, many will say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out many demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. You know, what this scripture shows me and taught me, it answered a very basic question that I kept telling myself. Come on, man, I'm I'm Heiny, I'm a good person. I go to church now and then with my mom and I don't steal that much and I don't, I don't do this and I don't do that. Like, I'm a good enough person. Surely God will get me to heaven if I'm a good enough person. What Jesus says... Completely kills that argument straight away. Being a good person is not enough to get me into heaven, is what I realized there. The thing that will get me, and still to this day, the thing that does get me to heaven is what? <clears throat> Only he who does the will of my Father. So then the question is that I ask myself is what is the will of the Father? What is the will of the father? Again ask yourselves that. What this also sparked is a is a slight interest in understanding other religions. I thought well, you know, I'm this chill vibe and what about Buddhism? Man, Buddhism sounds quite fun, like up in the mountains and, you know, bare feet and just like hitting dongs the whole day and chilling and 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 I started thinking slightly about some other ways of making excuses of how to get to God. And again, this scripture came up in John 14, verse 6. I've actually got a tattoo of this on my arm here. But Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I cannot get to know God if I don't know Jesus. I cannot get to know God if I don't look at what the, the Bible says. Jesus is the way to God. He is the way through the truth, which is the Bible. That leads to eternal life. That leads to heaven. You know, so for me, it was a big thing to, to really These two scriptures helped me to understand and start my faith, my walk with faith. Now, as young teens, we were all in your shoes. I would urge you today, as a fellow young person, to really look at these scriptures and process them. To really look at these scriptures and think about them. To really look at these scriptures and think about your own life today. Where do you stand? What would happen if you die? Ask yourselves these questions that we all ask ourselves. You know, as disciples as well, are we still doing the will of God? Are we still seeking it as eagerly as we did when we were young? That led me to really studying the Bible, taking it serious, and got baptized on, um, I think it was the 6th of September, 2009. and it was, it was quite a monumental piece, again, because this, this sparked a couple of the teens, you know, get this interest. They saw me as, again, this cool kid from school that kind of made this change and cut his afro off. And he, now he's taking this faith thing a bit serious. But it was just a great moment. You know, we had some incredible visitors I don't know if you guys know the Galutians, Rebecca Galutians and them. She, she actually came to my baptism as well. We were good friends. She's the one that when everybody said jump, she kind of went opposite and didn't jump. But anyway, um, the Williamses, I don't know if you guys know them. Toby Williams, he was there as well. and just, It was just an incredible kind of day. And it was just amazing to see how God moved. Um, but the, the, the biggest question was still that... Um, was still that one thing that I really struggled with as a teen when I was studying the Bible and before I got to this point. And that was just this Christian life seems a bit boring. Do I really want to commit to this? Especially after I've been exposed to the goodness of popularity, to the goodness of fitting in, to the goodness of the world. But I still made the commitment to to do this. And the... The third point that I want to kind of talk a bit about is now my life as a disciple. My life as a Christian. There are three scriptures which I've put up here amongst many that show you and that show me that life is definitely not boring with God. It is the most adventurous thing that you can undertake. The most challenging thing that you can undertake. And the most rewarding thing that you can undertake. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power. That is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What that's saying is that God is capable of doing so much more than we can even think of or imagine. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you undertake... The the, the road, the life, the adventure of becoming a Christian, God is with you. There is no one who can be against you. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. It is an epic adventure. When you follow God, it is an epic adventure when you really deny yourselves, deny the sin, deny the things that you want to do in life, but pursue God. You know, something that is amazing is is I shared a bit about me growing up as a kid, and you guys all saw me as a kid. Now, I had a dream, just a dream, that I so badly wanted to visit London. Uh, as a kid, I, me and my mum, and she'll back me up here. I, I would like to say that I did a task for um, school, but I think my mum did everything. She probably printed everything, stuck it on a page. Mums, you're probably used to that. But we, we I'll say mum, did this task. I had this task to, to do a, a project about where I wanted to go in life and, and some place I really wanted to visit. And as a kid, we kind of grew up not with loads of money. We grew up, as, as you saw, my dad had a little farm. We used to go there on, on weekends. We were building bases and doing these things. So I was this little African kid, and I had this dream just to visit London. Just a dream to visit London. Look at what happened. I actually met the queen. Glory to God. That is far more than what I even imagined would happen in my life. I thought what I would do is maybe go to London on a holiday and see Big Ben and have a little trip in London Eye, nice, see Buckingham Palace and then go back to South Africa. God is capable of doing far more than what we even think of or imagine. I never even thought I would meet this queen. Good old Queenie, we go back. I never even thought I would meet her. God put me in amazing situations at university. God allowed small dreams that I had to be exploded into bigger things than that. And that's testament to it. That's not a picture up there to brag about how I met the queen. That's a picture up there to say that if God is on your side, Way more than what you think of or dream of today is possible. That is what that picture is. It is saying that God is capable of doing far more than what we even think of or imagine. Something else is traveling. I had so many photos, but I can go through these and I can show you that through being part of the church, we are part of something so much bigger. We are part of an adventure that you cannot even understand unless you go and see it. This is me up in New York with a couple of disciples. Me and my brother went traveling to Boston and we went to a teen camp there. So parents, please save money to send your teens abroad because it's one of the best things that you'll do for them. To, to see the world and see other teens and see other churches. I'm just saying that teens, you're probably like, yes, I like this guy. Come back and preach again. Um but yeah, we, we went to New York and we met amazing people in New York. This is um, a, a guy that we know in Australia, Kelsey from Hawaii. We went to Sweden here and we met a bunch of people in Sweden. You'll see Kelsey and Abigail there again with a bunch of other people. We, so I met her in New York. I met Kelsey who came to London and we became, all of us became really good friends. Then I met them in California again. I was like, I'm going to California for this wedding. They came in, we, we all chilled in California, that's Rashad and Jessa who are all the way from Toronto, in, in, um, in, yeah Toronto obviously in, in Canada, Duh. Um, you, here I've got some friends from Boston, so I met these guys in Boston and we became such good friends and they came to Scotland and we did this epic adventure in Scotland with my car and crazy stories, but that's a sermon for another day. Just a whole bunch of the the guys, Doug Alonge, Maria, the Kendalls, all of them went to Wales and we had just crazy adventures. This is also a crazy one because this picture is actually taken in Spain, in in Barcelona. But this guy, Tristan, and this guy are friends that I also met in Boston. And they told me that they were going to be in Spain the same weekend I was going to be there. And we met up. It's just like nuts how you've got these global friends around the whole world. Again, Justin from Toronto Another weekend, this is all the way up in, um, in this crazy place in Denmark as well, Switzerland, Iceland, I mean Iceland for goodness sake, I was in Iceland with, with a bunch of friends from my university and I called up Reggie who's in Iceland, he's a disciple there, and I was like yo dude why don't you just come and chill with us, so Re- I'm with this group of 20 people and me knowing Reggie, Reggie's like yeah just come, I'll, I'll take all of you guys to this crazy bar and we went to this incredibly cool bar and it was just amazing. All my friends are like, how do you know so many people around the world? Mm-hmm. I've got more, New York, Milan, where, where else is there? TJ and Sonia, my best friends, the Louise. I don't know if you guys know them, but they are my best friends. We became best friends in London. The two of them ended up getting married in Singapore with, where I went to and they're now in Jakarta. Here, Marley and Blake, all the way from Texas. We went to France as a family. We, we met up with the um, Carol and John, the McGurks. I don't know if you guys know them. Again, the, just guys, it's an, an epic adventure as a Christian. I gave up the popularity and the friends in school, but look how God has blessed me. Look how God has blessed me. We have churches around the world. We have the opportunity to make friends around the world. That is very attractive to the people in the world because they see we are part of something greater. They see that we are part of something much, much, much better than what we think we have now today. It, it is amazing what God can do. You know, as a teen you guys must love traveling and stuff like that. Look what is possible and, and able look what you're able to do even as people who aren't teens now look what we're able to do through traveling we can very easily get on an airplane and fly to some continent and join a christian church there in milan i had no idea what they were singing it's all italian and i'm standing there i can't even read the words i'm in awe because i'm like god you understand this it's amazing it, it's, it is actually amazing. It's an adventure to be a Christian. One of the last things I want to I share about is just that going back to the point of God being able and, and capable of doing far more than we imagine. You know, my dad and my, my mom got divorced when I was about six years old. And he left the church. And he fell away was never interested in the church. You know, every time we, we as kids would, would go back and visit him, we'd, we'd always ask him, I would, I would ask him a few times, so dad, you know, are you not scared? Are you not scared of going to hell when you die? He'd be like, well, no son, I'm, I'm happy with life and I'm proud of my kids. He was just, there was a lot of pride a couple of years ago, I went to go and um, so that's me and my dad when I was a kid. Um, a couple of years ago, I went to go and visit my dad in Cape Town. It was the first time ever that me and him spent time alone, and we had a blast. We had so much fun. We we built a bit of a foundation as a as a friendship, you know, as a friendship. And again, we didn't really get into a lot of um, spiritual conversation, but we just we had a lot of fun. And I went to go and visit him this year. In in April. And. Guys. I cannot believe what I heard. I sat. I took my dad on this little safari. And we went away. And. and To put it into context. I gave up faith praying for my dad. Let's be straight up honest. I gave up faith praying for him. Because I thought. 18, 19 years have gone by. Well he's not going to change. I started limiting God's power. To my own mental power. And. Um. I sat with my dad and, and we, we start talking and um, he just starts talking. And he starts saying, well, son, for the first time in three months I've been praying. You know, I've been praying every day the last three months for the first time in 18 years. You know, I, think, I, I, I do think that I'm going to need to read my Bible again. You know, I, I do think that I'm going to need to do this again. He says, I, I know I've got off pride, but I think I've realized after all this time that my life has failed without God. Guys, it brought me to tears. It brought me to tears. God doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need our faith. He's capable of doing all this on his own. You know, I'm going through something slightly challenging, but I I was talking to my dad about it, and um, I don't know my dad like this. Look at what he says. This is in WhatsApp. He says, It's times like these that you need to spend more time on your knees than in your mind. Sending me two scriptures. My dad, me knowing him for 25 years. I have never seen him do something like that. That is a miracle you guys are witnessing. But what I'm trying to say with this point is that we cannot force God's will. Parents cannot force your children to do something. As disciples, we cannot force God's will. He Works in his own time. It's taken about 18 years to even say something like that again. That's 18 years of lessons being learned, of discipline, of God being in control of a much bigger picture. We can only see right now. We think we can only see in a year's time. God sees everything. We need to have that faith that God is capable of moving of doing things in life far better than we can think of or imagine. You know, So just to recap, my childhood, it's great for parents to discipline your children. This is where the teens are like, no, don't say that. (laughs) It is great for parents to discipline your children. You know, I hold my hands up to my mom who was strong enough to do it because as a mom, all you want to do, and as a dad, all you want to do is protect them. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to say things that you know are going to be challenging to them. But you've got to be strong. You have to be strong. You know, I hold my hands up to my mum for that. Teens, you all stuck your hand up when you said you trusted your parents. I can tell you one thing. They know better than us. They know better than us. We have to obey what they say. We have to try our best to do what they say. Because that will bless us in life. (laughs) The second thing is self-discovery. Guys, it's a good thing to self-discover. It's a good thing to doubt. It's a good thing to question. Ask yourself the challenging questions. Sit with people, ask them, what do you think of this? My mom did have to tell me as a teen when I asked her, mom, if I died right now, where am I going? She said, hell, son. (laughs) We we have to self-discover. We have to self-discover. It's a great thing to self-discover. Even as disciples today, are you still self-discovering? Are you still challenging yourself to align your will with God's will? And the second thing, I mean the third thing as I wrap up, is just life as a disciple is far from boring. And that is a guarantee. Life as a disciple is one epic adventure. It's not easy. I'm going to say that. It's not easy. It's definitely, definitely not easy. But it is one epic adventure. Thanks so much, guys.